Welcome to the Arena Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy the message. Great lead that was. Um, not so much on the announcements. <laughs> no, it's, uh, it's so good to be here with you guys. Some of you will not know me, and that's a great thing, as Jared said. I'm one of the pastors here at Arena, predominantly based over at Ilkeston, but um, regularly throughout the year, me and my wife and our, our two children will be over here at Mansfield, and it's so good to be here with the most romantic man in Arena Church, Stephen Robbins. And, uh, you know, notice that he spoke about Valentine's Day. He is ready. Alini, you better be expecting a present every day this week. He's told me what, what he's got lined up for you. Whoa, you bring the expectation, Alini. It's going to be special. Uh, this guy, he's the Casanova of Arena Church. It's uh, quite amazing. He just sets the standard for all us guys to really, you know, to attain to. And uh, Alini enjoy those three nights away in Rome. So... <laughs> well, I have the privilege this morning, as Jared said, of preaching, and, and we're just speaking, just doing a, a bit of a two-week mini-series. I think Stephen's going to be speaking next week. We're going to be speaking from our behaviours, and our behaviours are not to get us to behave. They're actually the cultures of this house. In your house, you have certain behaviours, certain cultures that you like to keep. So, for example, it might be no shoes upstairs. Anyone got that one? Yeah, a few of us maybe who've got cream carpets. I've got that one. Um, you know, it might be, you know, no footballs in the lounge. That is definitely not one that's at my house. But... Um, you, you know, that, these behaviours that we have at Arena Church are actually to promote this house and for the best of all of us. And this morning, I've got the privilege of speaking on passion. Uh, this is one of the key things that we want in Arena Church. It's for us to be passionate. I, I think it's fair to say that this is key to who we are as a church. People often kind of make comment about us being passionate, the fact that we can laugh together, the fact that we can enjoy life, we can enjoy church together. I mean, don't you just love people who are passionate? Yeah, I love passionate people. Who's heard of Pep Guardiola here, Man City manager? Now, I'm a Manchester United fan, so I shouldn't like Pep Guardiola, but I do like him. It's hard not to like him. He's a passionate guy. You'll see him on the sidelines every week. He's kicked every ball. He's missed every goal. Last week, Raheem Sterling, who's one of England's kind of star players, you could say, uh, missed a sitter. Pep Guardiola's going mad to the fans, you know, he's losing the plot, he calls Raheem across, he gives him a hug, gives him a kiss, whispers something in his ear, and he's off on his way. Pep Guardiola is passionate, and because of that, his players love him. See, passionate people, they have a zest for life, they're attractive, people want to be around passionate people. Now what you don't tend to see is people gravitate to those who have no direction or no excitement for the day. People gravitate towards those who have an expectation, who have an excitement, who, who, you know what, no matter what comes against them, they have a belief that they can overcome it. Who's read the Winnie the Pooh stories in their life? Yeah, a few of us, I hope. Yeah, in Winnie the Pooh, there's a guy called Eeyore. And uh, Eeyore is the, uh, the opposite of passionate. He is what you might call a fun sponge. Eeyore, like, if you have a great idea, Eeyore's always got a negative to throw up. He's, he's just moping around. He's like, you know, Winnie the Pooh, you've got no idea what you're talking about. I don't know what he says, really. <laughs> I've got to be honest, I don't know what he says. I just know how he says it. 
the funny thing is, he always held up as this like poster boy for, for being down and being sad and being, you know, just like disenchanted with life. The thing is this, I think that there's people, even in this room today, there are people in their lives who they might laugh at the way Eeyore is, but actually, secretly, they're living that Eeyore life. Do I have to go to work again today? Do I have to go to church? Stephen's asked me to make a coffee after the service. Aline has told me, now can I go on kids' church? Do you know what I mean? There are people who you could give them a million pound, but it wouldn't be enough. But a passionate person, you can give them a half-eaten Snickers and a cup of tea, and that will make a good day for them. Listen, we're called to live with passion. See, a passionate person, a passionate person is so attractive because there's a desire and there's a purpose to their lives. John Wesley a famous preacher, he said this, light yourself on fire with passion and people will come from miles to see you burn. See, people are drawn to it. It kind of doesn't matter what you're passionate about. People are just drawn to passion. You can see this in a negative context. You know, some of the the terrorist groups around the world, the reason that they are attracting people from our own country is because they are passionate. They're passionate in a bad way, in a negative sense, but they're passionate about it. See, passionate, passion, it refers also to purpose. See, me and Jazz must have been uh, in tune this morning because he spoke about purpose beforehand and he spoke about passion here. See, passion and purpose are intrinsically linked because your purpose is the reason that you are passionate. It's why you jump out of bed in the morning instead of climbing back under the quilt. It's easy to climb back under the quilt in this weather, isn't it? Yeah, it is. This time of year, it's kind of easy. But you can see throughout history that people who change the world all have in common that they are passionate. Martin Luther King, he was passionate about equal rights for all races and brought an incredible change. And actually, the stuff that he talked about, you know, what, 40, 50, 60 years ago, even today is still changing things in the fabric of our society. John Wesley was passionate about God changing a generation. Steve Jobs, if you don't know who Steve Jobs is, he probably created that phone that's in your pocket, that iPhone. He was passionate about technology empowering the way we live. These guys, they changed history. See, but I think the greatest case study in passion is Jesus himself. See, where he showed his passion and his love for us by walking towards the cross and freely accepting a horrendous death for people who weren't even bothered about him. That's passion. In John 15 verse 13, Jesus says this. He says, greater love is no one than this than to lay down one's life for one's friend. See, God sent his only son, Jesus, so that we had a chance to know him. Just a chance, just a shot at knowing him. He, when he sent Jesus down, there were no guarantees. There were no guarantees that we'd be sat here today. There were no guarantees that you'd be sat here today. But God did it anyway. This is an extreme passion for us that is the reason we're here. See, it seems too much. It's extravagant and it's powerful, this passion for you of God. 
See, because of the passion Jesus showed for us on the cross, we too can live lives of passion. Today, I want to talk about a few key areas where I feel we should be passionate. The first one is this, a passion for God. In Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, Jesus says this. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. See, this love for God It's not just like, yeah, just go to church on Sunday and that's it. It's not just like, yeah, just throw up a few prayers when you're not feeling too good. No, this is an all-consuming love. This is a passionate love. This is a love that dictates your life. This is not a love that you fit around your life. This is a love that is your life. This is a love that your life's built upon. This passion for God. Being consumed by Him, by His greatness and by who He is and what He's done for us. He's the one who set us free. He's the one who saved us. He is the one who pulled us from the pit of sin, of shame and of hurt. He's the one who heals us of our diseases and sets us free from our failures. He's the God of heaven and earth who chose to send his son to die for you. How can I not love him passionately? How can I not love him passionately? Have you ever considered what it would take to send your son or daughter to die? Now God knew that when he sent Jesus, that actually it all worked out well in the end. But he still had to send Jesus, his son, through horrendous pain, through a horrendous experience. And any parent in this place will know that you would do anything for your, your child not to go through pain. Anything. And God had to sit On his throne in heaven, while he watched Jesus be spat at, be kicked, be abused, go through his horrendous death, just so we could know him. He did it for you. It's unthinkable. It's crazy. It's mental. But God did it for you. See, this is why in worship, I can't just stand on my phone. I can't just stand with my hands at my side, disengaged. I have to worship him. I have to lift my hands. I have to sing. I have to shout. When Jared tells us to lift our hands and praise God, I have to do it because I'm not praising a band. I'm not praising from how I feel right now. I am praising a God who's far bigger and far greater and who's done so much for me. I can't stand with my hands at my side. I can't just stand thinking about my Sunday roast. I can't stand thinking about what's happening tomorrow because I have to praise him because of all he's done in my life. Come on, church, we need to be passionate about God. Let's have a passionate love for him. If we can't be passionate about him here, then let me tell you, you will not be passionate about him in the world because it's easy to be passionate here. It's not so easy when you're on your own on Monday morning. This is an atmosphere of faith where a hundred people come together to say, God, you're great. But tomorrow morning, you're going to be on your own. So you know why uh, we can be passionate here? It's kind of easy if we're being honest. On Monday morning, it's not so easy. If we can't lift our hands, if we can't sing, if we can't give him praise and glory here, then I'm sorry to say you're not going to do it on a Monday morning. This is the place to lift him up. Jesus said, he says, when I'm lifted up from heaven, I will draw all men to myself. When we lift God up, something literally happens in the fabric of society. You talking about seeing Mansfield changed? Well, let's worship God. 
When we touch heaven, earth is changed. We see it in the Bible. See, this passion for God should permeate the fabric of the world that we live in. People are drawn to passion. Why have I had the privilege of bringing a lot of my non-Christian friends to church? Because I'm passionate about God. Not because I'm perfect. Not because I've got it all together. Not because I go into work ramming it down people's throats. Or like preaching at people on a street corner. It's because I live a life that seeks to honour God. Every day, I live a life that seeks to honour God. Do I always get it right? No. I'm always perfect. Far from it. You know that. You know me. But I seek to live a life that honours God. You might say, Josh, I'm not an extrovert like you. You don't need to be. But I've been to a Coldplay concert in Wembley. 78,000 people. Loads of extroverts, loads of introverts. The funny thing is, all 70,000 people had their hands up singing Fix You by Coldplay. I've been to Manchester United and seen all kinds of men, all kinds of ladies shout when Manchester United have scored or the ref made a bad decision. People being passionate about football, about music. I've seen women lose the plot when they get that Mulberry handbag. Hello, anybody. See? God is far greater, he's far bigger than a handbag, than a football match or a concert. Why can't we, why can we, we, we praise Manchester United? Why can't we praise Coldplay? Why can't we praise that handbag? But we can't praise God. He's worthy of our praise. If he saved you like he saved me, then I can't not praise him. I can't not worship him. I thank God for what he's done in my life. See, passionate people pursue God. And when you pursue God, he tells you where he made you to flourish. He tells you who you are. You see, because of this, having a passion for God and having a passion for life are linked. They're the same thing. They're one and the same thing. If you are passionate about God, then in turn you have to have a passion for life. Because as you pursue God, as you spend time with God, as you were in his presence, he tells you about who he made you to be. That's what happens. See, when you're led by God's call on your life, your purpose is not found in your career or your relationship. It's found in him. See, careers change, relationships change, but God does not. Therefore, your purpose does not change. You might be an accountant. You might go into that, that meeting. You might be you know, talking to new clients and you want to do your job well. That's a great thing to do. But listen to me. God might have said to you that you're there to change people's lives. You're there to help people. Your purpose is to lift people's heads. And no matter where you go, whether in, your, in that workplace or in your family, you can go in and you can lift people's heads. And you know if that, that life or that work changes? You can go wherever you're called to go and you can lift people's heads through the grace of God. So you've been designed with a unique purpose. And when you live from that purpose, you can't help but be passionate about outworking that purpose. Will you always float through life like it's just a breeze and everything's perfect and you're just like running through the lily fields? No. Will life always be easy? No. But I'd like to suggest that if you're living an easy life, you're probably not living from your purpose. 
Because when you're living from purpose, you step into bigger things. When you're living from purpose, you step into greater things. And you, when you're living from purpose, you grow as you step up. As God calls you to more, you grow. And you know what comes with growth? Growing pains. And when you're stretched, and when God's calling you to bigger, when God's calling you to more, it can be scary, it can be fearful. But you know what? I would far rather take some risks. I would far rather live a big life than just a life that's easy and safe, where all I've done in my entire life is watch Big Brother for 500 hours. I'd rather do that. I'd rather take some risks, make some mistakes, and step into all God has called me to do. You see, the valleys provide context for the mountaintop. If I just lived on a mountaintop for my entire life, all I would know was beautiful sky and fresh air. But because I've seen the valley, because I've gone through the lows of life, when I step into my purpose, when I step into that bigger thing, when I'm in the high times, in the good times, I can appreciate it because I've actually experienced the valley. See, the valley, it provides context for the mountaintop. You might be going through a valley now, but I need to tell you, it's just a season. It's not going to last forever. God's calling you to bigger. God might be stretching you in that valley so that you can walk up that mountain. The valley provide context for the mountaintop. See, when it comes to passion for God, King David has to set the bar. See, we see him singing and dancing through the streets in his undergarment. I'd like to see Stephen dancing in his boxer shorts. I might just, you know, put some... Is that a nice image to have in your hands? <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> you know, Stephen, next time I come to your house, I might put a GoPro in your corner, you know, so I can see that. David, King David, he danced through the streets of Israel with reckless praise to God. He, he praised God so hard that his wife fell out with him. I'll tell you what, you're praising God if your wife falls out with you about it. He praised God so hard that people were like, David has lost the, the plot. The most important man in Israel, the highest you could get, losing the plot in praise of God. And what does he say when people question him? I'll become even more undignified than this. Have we got some people in Arena Church that are going to be so passionate about God that they will risk their reputation? Have we got some people in Arena Church that are going to be so passionate about God that actually they'll lift their hands, they'll jump, they don't care what the person left and right's thinking about them. They're going to do that because all they care about and their priority is praising God. See, that's what passion is. Passion is not being bothered about the person on your left and on the right. Passion is, I'm just going to do it anyway. In Psalm 69 verse 9, David says this, For zeal, for your house consumes me, and the insults of those who insult you fall on me. Just a quick note, I flipping love that, that second part of that verse where he says, The insults of those who insult you fall on me. Has anyone tried to insult like someone close to you, like to your face and not told them? You know, if someone insults my wife, my mum and dad, my friends, let me tell you, uh, people say all sorts of things about me, that's fine. But if someone insults those close to me, I've got a real problem with it. I love what David says. The insults of those who, who say stuff about you, God, they fall on me. That's how much this man loved God. But the next thing is this. David was passionate for God's... Sorry, we should have a passion for God's house. David says, for zeal for your house consumes me. Another translation, another version says, passion for your house consumes me. See, David was passionate about God 
And because he was passionate about God, he was passionate about God's house. See, I've seen people who've tried to have a passion for God without the passion for his house, i.e. the church. Honestly, most of the time when I've seen this, not all the time, but most of the time when I've seen this, when people say they're passionate about God but not passionate about church, a lot of the time I think it comes down to an authority issue. They don't want to come under leadership. I would like to present this morning that you can't be passionate about God without being passionate about his house. What did Jesus say? I will build my church. I will build my church. We've got to be passionate about the things that God's passionate about. Jesus says, it says it plainly throughout the Gospels, if you've read them, he says that he lays down his life for the church. If Jesus laid down his life for this, if Jesus says, I'm going to build it, then surely we have to be passionate about what God's passionate about. David, this passionate leader, he was saying that he has a passion for God's house. He's saying that it consumes him. It consumes him. What, what, when you're consumed by something, what's it like? You can't stop thinking about it. I, I kind of get where David's coming from. Like I, a lot of the Bible, I don't always get. I don't quite understand it, but I get this. See, I, I get where he's going with it. I, I love God's house. I, I love arena. I love that I can walk into this place with my head down and walk out with my head up on God. I love that when the people of God gather together, anything can happen. I love that my closest relationships and best friends are in church with me. I love to worship God together. I love to pray together. I love to laugh together. I love what church does for my soul. Helen and I, we showed up to church the morning after our wedding. And people were like, why? And we said, why not? We want to be here. This is not a chore to come. This is not like, oh, I've got to go to church. I want to be here because it does something in me. Other times when I've been feeling a bit under the weather and, you know, it would have been nicer just to lay in bed and I thought, oh, it'd be great to lay in bed this morning. Maybe there has, you know, throughout the, I don't know, 20 odd years I've been coming to church. But I'll tell you this, and I can speak this from a true, open, honest heart, that there's never been a morning that I came to church and I left thinking that was a waste of time. I've always left built up. I've always left thanking God for what he did. See, for us, for me, for my family, church on Sunday is a non-negotiable. It's not a day to have a lie in if we're not quite feeling it or a day to go out if the sun is shining. We're here because we love this place. And we realise that as we're planted in God's house, there's a unique favour and a unique blessing that comes on our life. Psalm 92 says it. Planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of our God. They'll still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green, proclaiming the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no wickedness in him. See, my my parents taught me what it means to be planted in God's house, what it means to consistently put God first by honouring our coming together. See, how can we say we put God first when we treat his house with so much content? We do, at times. I'm just going to church. No, it's far bigger than that. It's far more than that. Can I be straight this morning? I think some of us resign ourselves from being planted because of our lack of consistency in God's house. We miss out on this unique blessing 
by dipping in and out as we feel like it. The reason I'm stood here today, the reason my sister sat over there, is because my parents were planted in God's house. Simple. See, I also thank God that we're in a church that champions people, that calls people to more, that's good to come to. I hope for you this is not a hard place to come to. I hope this is a great, exciting place for you to come to. Come on, guys, this is not a chore to do this. It's a joy. Let's place a high value on gathering together as the church. Finally, I believe we're called to have a passion for people. Band, you can start coming up. See, what I love about this church is that we're passionate about affecting our community. The community here in Mansfield, the community in Ilkeston, the M1 corridor, as we call it. And what a community is built up of? People. We're not passionate about buildings, even though we're blessed with a phenomenal building here and in Ilkeston. We're not passionate about like clubs. We're passionate about people. We're called to be passionate for people. We want to make a difference in people's lives. See, the very description of a Jesus follower, I believe, is to be one who brings change. Jesus says in, like, in Matthew somewhere, five or six, he says, um, you're here to be salt and to be light. What does light do? When you go into a dark room, it's like hard to see. The atmosphere is a bit scary. If you're like me, still at 28 years of age, I'm still like scrambling for the light before I walk into the room. Light changes the atmosphere in an instant. It brings change. What does salt do? The reason I destroy my chips with salt is because it adds an awesome flavour. What's Jesus saying? You're here to make this world look better and you're here to make this world taste better, i.e. you are here to make this world better. How do we do that? By having a passion for people. See, I believe that to bring community transformation, to bring change in our workplace or our school, we have to be passionate for people. See, there's scores of examples of Jesus and God's passion for people. But he tells us plainly in Matthew 22, again, I'll read the whole, the whole, um, the whole piece. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Another version also says, and all your strength. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbour as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. What you have to realise is that those 12 commandments that Moses came down Mount Sinai with, they had turned into this religious um, blocking and chaining tool that had actually not just turned into 12 commandments, but had turned into hundreds and possibly thousands of micro uh, commandments that have come from the twelve. And this is one of those things where I think if you're there, when Jesus says it, you do a bit of a double take. You know, a double take, like when you see something, you're like, what was that? Like, if I was there in the crowd, I'd be like, Jesus, hey, Jesus, it's me, Josh. Think you just said, love your neighbor as yourself. Like, I need to put me first. You know, Jesus, like, you know, I spend too much time thinking about others. I need to put me first. That's what I need to do, isn't it? No, no. Love your neighbor as yourself. The 12 commandments were obliterated. You might say, well, well, weren't there some good stuff there? Do not steal. Well, yeah. If you love your neighbour as yourself, you're not going to steal from your neighbour. 
Do not kill. If you love your neighbor as you do yourself, you're not going to kill. God's obliterated. Jesus obliterated the 12 commandments in this saying here. See, his passion for people was evident. In every interaction he had, his passion came through. You see in his interactions where he's teaching, where he's healing, where he's eating. You even see it in his disagreement with the religious people of the day where he's defending the marginalized. In Matthew 22, Jesus tells us, love your neighbor as yourself. See, the way of the world is to put us first. It's to put me first. It's to step on others to get get uh, above in life, to go further in life. It's to bring people down and lift myself up. It's to honour myself and dishonour others. In our world today, we're so consumed with us, our problems, our issues, what's up with us. Without paying attention to the people around us and what they're dealing with, our issues take centre stage. And they're so much worse than anybody else's. We all do it. I do it. We're the busiest. We're the hardest working. We've got it the hardest. You don't really hear anyone say like, my life's dead easy. Oh yeah, you've got it way harder than me. Like you're such a harder worker than I am. You hear people say, oh, I'm so busy. And I do it. But listen, we're called... In the midst of that business, you might be busy. I'm sure you're a hard worker. You might have it hard. But listen, don't put your problems here and forget about everybody else's. Love your neighbour as yourself. Jesus did this regardless of circumstance, regardless of his situation, regardless of what he's going through. You just have to see him when he's hanging on the cross and he makes sure, I flipping love this, he makes sure his mum is okay by basically giving John as a son. He said, woman, here's your son. He called him the disciple Jesus loved. He was John. Jesus, in his hardest moment, when he's hanging on the cross, he has a second to think about his mum and about his friend. See, Jesus was never too distracted to notice an opportunity to lift people up. If you look at the story of Zacchaeus in this huge crowd where people are clawing for his attention, what does he do? He notices the one man who just needs him. One man who needs just a fresh spirit. The one man who needs some chains breaking over his life. In the story of the woman with the issue of blood, in this crowd where everyone's touching him, where I see thousands of people there, Jesus is at the centre of it. People want to hear from him. People want to touch from him. He notices the one woman who's desperate. The one woman. And straight after that, the story of the centurion's son. This little boy, dead at home. And they say to Jesus, look, don't bother him. He's already dead. Leave it. Jesus leaves the crowd He leaves the busyness. He leaves the speaking engagements. He leaves the meetings. Because let me tell you, there was opportunities for Jesus. There was no door that would be closed to, to him. He could have gone anywhere. He was the man of the time. What did he do? Left all that to raise a little boy from the dead. Jesus is passionate about people. There's no better example to follow. Can we lay down our own self importance to lift someone else up? 
Can we interrupt our schedule to speak into someone's life? Can we give ourselves to that work community to set an example and be different? Can we speak words that build people up rather than bring them down? Will you risk your reputation so that someone can be helped? We're called to live like Jesus, to live like him, to love like him. He set the bar on loving people by laying down his life for us. What does he say? He says, the greatest in my kingdom is the servant. Paradox of the kingdom of God. The greatest is the one who can make themselves the lowest. Church, if we're serious about seeing God move, if we're serious about seeing revival, it'll be through people who are passionate for God, passionate for church, for their lives, and for those around us. See, when we have people who are living with passion, people won't be able to ignore us because they will want what we have. They won't be able to keep quiet. They will have to ask what's different. See, where are the people who are going to passionately serve their communities, who are going to bring transformation through showing up day in, day out with an attitude that says, I'm going to serve others. Our world, you've seen it yourself, you live in it. It's bereft of purpose and it's bereft of passion. It's our turn as the church to rise up and say, hey, there's another way to live. There's a different way to live. You have got a purpose over your life. You have got a call over your life. There is someone who cares about you and his name is Jesus. If we can demonstrate lives that are purposefully passionate, then in this place we will have standing room only. Lives that are purposefully passionate, passionate about God wherever we go. Not mental, not crazy, not out there. Just people who are passionate about God. Just people who are there, themselves, passionate about God wherever they go. Can we live that life of purpose? Can we live that life of passion?